0: This episode of the Earmark podcast is brought to you by Soft Soft SoftLedger is modern general ledger software that is easy to use and makes integrating your financial data a cinch. Visit info.softledger.com earmark to learn more. Where do you see this going? I mean, it's a tiny sliver of businesses right now that are accepting cryptocurrency. Do you see it? Going mainstream, do you see every business using cryptocurrency? Are you a crypto maximalist? Do you think that <laughs> it's going to replace fiat currency in the US dollar? Like, where, where do you, what, what's your view of this? Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Earmark Accounting Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Oliver, CPA, and I'm joined today by Ben Taylor, Ben is the CEO and co-founder of SoftLedger, a cloud-native accounting platform and APIs that empower your growing company to operate more efficiently and make smarter decisions. Ben is also a CPA who got his start at EY as an auditor and spent over a decade in the profession before starting his own software company. Very happy to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So, so... What the heck made you take the leap from accounting into starting your own software company? Sure, yeah, not a common path to
1: spend a, a decade in accounting and then then start your own software company. And the the reason uh, reason for that was it just it took too long to get financial data at um, at the company I was working at at the time. Really, what that means is it took too long to close the books. I like to say that uh, you know. On, January 2nd, you, you didn't know how you did on January 2nd until February 25th, let's say, uh, because it you know you need to get to the end of January, then close the books, and that takes weeks. And all of a sudden, you're looking two months behind. Uh, and that just seemed kind of crazy to me. And so I called up my longtime friend, Jeff Ostrega, who's the CTO and co-founder. And he's been building applications um, since he was in high school, so he knows how to actually build software. And I thought, you know, maybe this is a problem that could be solved with software. And so that's what led us down the road to ultimately building a a mid-market general ledger, which is kind of at the core of this problem to ultimately get financial data into the hands of everyone who needs it at an organization as fast as possible.
0: Yeah, I was really excited to hear about SoftLedger when we first got in touch. I, I didn't know about this as an option. I mean... I think we're all familiar with QuickBooks and Zero, and some of us NetSuite, Sage, mm-hmm. Intact in the mid market. So you are building, or you have built, a cloud-based GL for mid-market companies that competes. Do you compete with NetSuite, Intact in that realm, or wh- where where do you sit?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of in between. To be honest, uh, it's it's you might come off of a, a bookkeeping software platform like QuickBooks or Zero earlier than you would have otherwise, because it's, you know, that's, it's a big jump from that to NetSuite or Intact. And sometimes you are never going to need that level of complexity. And, you know, it, it's, we took a v- very much of a product focus to building the application very, you know, we so, we say a lot of the things, the same things that everyone does. It's easy to learn, it's fast to implement, it's easy to connect to other systems, but in our case, it's just, you know. Very true on, e- on every front, and a lot of that comes from just building this, using a product focus and doing it in the past few years versus, you know, there's not a lot you can change if you started 20 years ago. It's, it makes it a lot more difficult to change your system, and you just would fundamentally build a mid-market accounting system differently if you started
0: than we did. And you were on another podcast, uh, a CFO Weekly, I think was it, and, and you were talking about yep. how your GL is built with APIs. Mm-hmm. From the beginning, I mean, it's in the description. Why do you highlight API in mm-hmm. your website at the very top? Because most people probably, I mean, I think a lot of our listeners know what an API is. Maybe you could just explain, like, why that's important. What's what's different? Sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something that I've learned a lot more since actually building the system. And I was I think it was in the exact same boat uh, when I was, you know, using uh, accounting system in my day to day job. But essentially. You could say legacy cloud accounting software providers built their application, and then they added on an API as a way to communicate with other systems. The way we constructed our platform, we thought about APIs from the very beginning. And I, I would love to take credit for this. I cannot solve Jeff, the, the, the architecture behind this real taking the end user requirements and realizing, oh, okay, this is how you should do this. And, and today how, how you, how you build a, it's called cloud native is the architecture, um, decision that we made. And that, that means our application actually talks to our API to work in, you know, inherently that that's just how the system works in the same way as if you're using another system like, um, HubSpot or some other, some internal system that you use for billing, whatever the case is, could just talk. Uh, it could do the same exact things as, as we do via, via our application, but Via another application, so you could you could send over a journal entry, you could send over an invoice, um, and create that and send it out, all just via code because that's
0: the same way that our end users are really um, really using the API. So then, is it accurate to say that the the user interface is really just accessing the API to do things in the app the same way another third party app that's connected would?
1: Exactly. Yep. Okay. That's,
0: that's a great way of putting it. Um,
1: and you could, so you could kind of think of it as the user interface and the API has these two kind of things that like, like if you think of like the hub and spoke model, like the user interface or our user interface is one. And then another application could be another, and then another, and then you, it's
0: all feeding from the same exact source. So you guys don't need to, I guess if somebody uses soft ledger, like RPA is not necessary because you have an API for everything already built in.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. And we've, we've looked at this before too. Yeah, where we've realized that uh, when we've assessed RPA in a number of areas and a lot of times it doesn't seem like it makes sense because you now have this ability to directly connect transactions in a way that's just tougher if you have an application and then an API and the API can kind of talk to some things in the application but not others and there's it just, it, it creates more friction between you know in in that connection and by removing just a little bit of friction in the way that we have it starts to create new possibilities for connecting systems
0: i want to make sure i'm visualizing and, this right like so we have database then we have api and then we have the user interface on top of that is that yeah. is that okay
1: yeah yeah that's yeah. kind of yeah that's kind of right I, you know using my very dumbed-down version <laughs> of of, <laughs> well, but yeah that's it's like there's one database you know that, that the api You know. That that's communicating with, which is the same place where the the, the UI is um is pulling pulling information from, and it yeah. keeps it keeps it all consistent. There's not there's not you start to eliminate a lot of
0: data replication, which I think helps a lot. So we're here to talk about blockchain today. This episode is blockchain for accountants. Mm-hmm. So you you started your own general ledger application. What does that have to do with blockchain? How'd you get interested in, in blockchain tech for accountants?
1: Jeff and I got, got interested in, in 2017 in crypto assets, blockchain networks, related technologies, all, all these things that were coming in. Um, there were a lot of projects building on them. Um, you know, It became pretty active and mainstream. You know, like we all remember the, the I- ICOs, uh, that boom in 2017. We got interested in it, and then we realized, okay, so... These ICOs, initial coin offerings—if you don't remember the, the term—to so me, uh, coming from a SEC reporting background, I'm basically look at that and think, okay, well, this is the SEC is going to view this as a IPO. Basically, this is a little IPO, except these companies don't have accounting departments and financial reporting groups and all the things that you, happen, that you have traditionally before you IPO, and that's going to be a big problem. Because this is really complicated to track a lot of the same tracking requirements exist, but there were no systems for it. And so we were, we decided, okay, this is something that we should build out specific functionality for, because at first we tried to get it, we tried to use inventory to, to model it out and it kind of worked, but it fell down in a few ways, and so we decided, okay, we're going to build out a s- specific module for crypto assets, and then we, re- we released that and. in. in august of 2018 to to help essentially to help these companies get all this complex
0: all these complex transactions into their financials in a controlled auditable way and and why why should we as accountants care about crypto about blockchain like why do we need a special module to handle it in our accounting system why'd you build it you need to track it a bit differently some of the same issues exist with this as with traditional
1: foreign currencies it's just you're not especially for our target uh customer not being a large you know multinational corporation they're traditionally not using a bunch of different currencies and in in you know for reporting purposes and transacting in them and having to to mark things to market and in a way where um you have all this complexity early in in your life cycle but if you're using crypto you run into a lot of those problems uh the, the same ones except normal currencies have have um benefits for accounting where you can, they're homogenous. You can treat them all as the same thing. You don't need to, to have these individual cost layers each time you go into different the different assets, just like stocks. And so now with crypto, you can trade one of these assets for another one. So you're like trading a stock for another stock, for instance, to use a simple example, or even if you're you're paying your vendors, you need to record the market value at that time and any gains or losses when you pay your vendor and so it just starts to get really complicated to track all that if you want to do business with crypto so to start with it's just if you're using this you need a system to account for it that's that's you know at its most basic level
0: why we why we built this and you were saying that you tried using inventory to track Mm -hmm. crypto holdings cryptocurrency holdings and that fell apart or didn't work Mm -hmm. so the reason it doesn't work is because, w- w- why? Because you don't pay
1: for a vendor uh, payable with, with a physical inventory. And you know that's mm, a flow okay. that doesn't quite exist. And so it's like, you're kind of trying to fit it into something that doesn't really work. And sometimes it could work for certain situations, but for others it can't. And, and that's a good example, right. is when you're using these things like cash, you need to build it in a certain way that that is is open to,
0: to to doing that yeah i can't most inventory modules don't have a way for me to trade my inventory for right. other yeah it's like right. a
1: border there's no there's no
0: there's not really a barter system and then with the currency modules mm-hmm. well there's lots of reasons why we can't track cryptocurrency as a currency even though we call it a currency <laughs> and that's what that's because sec uh, U.S. Gap doesn't recognize cryptocurrency as an actual currency yet, or does it? Like, what are the? Yeah, what are the? That's what's the current right. situation? The the official SEC guidance is all this stuff
1: falls into intangibles generally, yeah. unless you could specifically unless it's just a digital representation of a concept that would clearly be a security or something else. It's intang- it's going to be treated as an intangible asset, and. I think that's still the, that's still the case for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Although those two kind of they've said some things about that le- that that point to them being handled potentially handled differently.
0: But yeah, as it stands, they're still all intangible assets. So you've built a module inside a soft ledger, then, that basically allows me to track my crypto holdings or my company's crypto holdings as intangible assets, and then also use them like a currency when I pay for yeah. Exactly.
1: Well, we just it's configurable. So if it if it's a, it's a tangible asset, great. If it's ends up being cash, then that's just a you just reclassify where that asset sits. And so we've we've built it. We like to say it's it's purpose built for uncertainty. Whatever happens, you can code it how you want to, configure it into different uh, groupings. You can always change those classifications later. And that was really important for us because we have uh, customers all over the world. And so there's various regulatory jurisdictions that we cross over and we just want to make sure that the we have we give it all of our customers the tools to uh, categorize them however they need to
0: how widespread is crypto among the business community do you have an idea among your users like how many what percentage are using the cryptocurrency module and then what about more broadly so uh,
1: over half of our customers are using crypto um wow in, in some way that's in not, their
0: operations that's a lot right compared to the general yeah and,
1: and it, a big part of that is because we have yeah. a module for it so we've 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 you know carved out a niche here for companies that are using crypto broadly for you know real economic activity outside of um trading and other other um outside of speculation other financial services like lending some of the, these things are are pretty big now outside of that we haven't seen a ton of you know, normal nuts and bolts crypto um, activity, it, it's, you know, for payments is one thing, but if it's just payments, if you're just accepting or or paying with Bitcoin, for instance, that's not the complexity that really lends itself to needing a whole system for for tracking this. You, you could easily use something like BitPay that converts crypto to, uh, to, to US dollars or euros or whatever you use your currency. And then you can kind of avoid the uh, the complications there. So, you know, when it comes to like really game changing new economic models and there being a significant amount of business happening on those, that hasn't quite happened yet that we've seen. But there's some really interesting cases that have start to started to trickle in, and yeah, I think I think over the next few years we're going to start to see some of those
0: pick up um, and and become material. Where do you see this going? I mean, it's a tiny sliver of businesses right now that are accepting cryptocurrency which is the main use case for blockchain at the moment it seems like do you see it going mainstream do you see every business using cryptocurrency are you a crypto maximalist do you think that it's going to replace fiat currency in the us dollar like where where do you what? what's your view of this
1: sure so it's it's a complicated question i guess uh it's you know we, we sit somewhere in the middle, you know, we're, we're I, I think the biggest things that this will do haven't happened yet and we probably just don't know what they are yet. In the same way as when you initially hooked a GPS up to a mobile phone, you didn't realize Uber was going to happen. You know, the, it's it's one of those things where there's these really interesting building blocks for new businesses that will emerge from this and we we have the start of a lot of it now. And I yeah, I do think that blockchain and related technologies, crypto assets and some other other things are, are going to be really big for the next. We kind of view it as just the next iteration of internet based technologies. It's it's, you know, it's, you're right. that so so for crypto crypto assets, uh, right now, that's the main use case. And it, Bitcoin's really the biggest thing where it's like, you, you can now pay someone on the other side of the globe, you know, wherever you can transact some value without having to go through any intermediary other than just this, you know, global monetary network that's just processing transactions and doesn't care, you know, that they're just they you don't know, care block where you are. after block are being no. processed. Yeah. And it's just going to keep on going. And so that, that was really revolutionary and interesting. And a lot of, uh, stemmed from that. And I, I think that that is going to continue to be a, it, yeah, really, really huge innovation. The most interesting stuff starts happening once we start talking about these nebulous concepts with really buzzwordy things like blockchains and web three and consensus up, you know, mechanisms and all this st- stuff that we're just talk about, like solving <laughs> actual problems. And, you know, that that's what it'll happen. I think this will unlock a lot of that. It's just, you know, it's everything takes longer than, than you hope it will.
0: Each month, when you go to close the books, does it feel like you're using clunky software in the middle of a fire drill, only to find yourself in exactly the same spot a few weeks later? Break the cycle with SoftLedger, modern general ledger software that is easy to use and makes integrating your financial data a cinch. With SoftLedger, your team will produce higher quality, more detailed financial data more quickly. With the hours saved, your team won't experience burnout and they'll make fewer errors in the process. In fact, they'll have more fun at work and stay motivated. Softledger is offering you a free software recommendation workshop where you can tell them all about your current processes and frustrations. They'll make recommendations for improvement and explain your software options, even if the best solution for you isn't Softledger. Visit info.softledger.com earmark to sign up for your no-risk software workshop and start closing your books faster every month again that's info.softledger.com slash earmark what what about this uh, idea that was being tossed around a few years ago for a while when blockchain was hot and new in the accounting world you had these people out saying mm-hmm. it's going to automate audit because we're going to have a distributed general ledger or triple entry accounting and we're no longer going to need to validate transactions in audit and it's going to eliminate a lot of work that to me seemed like a bunch of well, it just it just seemed like so unreal, and un- un- it seems so ridiculous that that companies would want to put their their GL on a blockchain, like for the public to view. Like, what do you think that could happen? Is it going to audit? It, well, is audit going to be impacted by blockchain tech?
1: Yes, I think audit will be impacted and uh, by blockchain tech to the extent that there's um, what's called on-chain transactions, so transactions actually happening on blockchains that's programmatic, programmatic, you can, you know, search it and do analytics on it via, um, you know, computers, as opposed to doing this manual checking. I think that's great. And that, that kind of ties into where audit's headed, taking more of an analytics view versus a substantive view on, on, on audits when it comes to triple entry accounting. And that it's just, it's a buzzwordy thing that, um, I think that anyone that actually understands and has, you know, booked and reviewed journal entries and you know how ha- the the concept of triple entry accounting is you know the the two entries are debit and credit so unless there's some third
0: entry uh you know I guess th- that would like, be that would be to the blockchain right like well
1: but it's debit and credit on a centralized database today so you could right. say that that's the third entry now and now now there's a distributed database so there's that's now it's so it's like you still have this concept of a debit and credit to a an organization that's ha- that's going to be booked in a general ledger, and if there's some other relationship with a third party, that's still just captured in that debit and credit. And Now we're just talking about well, is it going to be reported in a in a general ledger, and is that from a blockchain-based subledger? Okay, well that makes you know that could make sense if there's a lot of uh, economic activity on a blockchain that you want to capture automatically to flow in your GL. That's great, but I don't think it's as simple as, as just saying, okay, you stamp to a blockchain and then all of a sudden you get some additional automation there. It's, you know, the context is very important for what the transaction is. And if you use blockchains, they're very unforgiving. You can't, you can't make changes. It's very like the rules are set. You can't provide a lot of context. That's what a general ledger is for. And, and a central centralized database makes sense for that. And I, I don't see that changing anytime soon.
0: Yeah, I suppose the the one thing that would be easier to audit would would be when it comes to confirmations, because if you can see a transaction on a blockchain, mm-hmm. is that I think you, that's what you were talking about, right? Like,
1: yeah, if you could, if you could, a business could choose which transactions it shows or gives temporary access to auditors to to view their. But in that case, too, it's like, I mean, if you're doing audit confirmations on on transactions that should all be be private, and the auditors Gets to see it for a certain amount of time. How different is that than than providing bank, uh, you know, access to their bank account or bank statements? It's more automated. It, it could be, you know, you could have this feed that of uh, transactions that's easily, more easily shareable with auditors. But you could always, you know, shut off access as needed. Maybe that's where that ends hmm. up. But it really, it, it really depends. I mean, for for certain transactions and t- or for certain types of transactions, if they're occurring in this like publicly accessible database that could be really um really helpful for in a lot of cases i just yeah i don't know if in a lot of cases i don't know if businesses would go for it you know in in some cases maybe it makes sense but it's you know that that starts to get pretty tricky
0: so you said that half of your customers are using cryptocurrency or tracking cryptocurrency Mm -hmm. what what are the applications that they are using it for what is their like what are they doing with it
1: it's mostly financial services so crypto exchanges, um, other payments related uh, companies. There's we have uh, ATM providers, there's miners too. There's uh, there's other uh, b- uh, blockchain related companies like a company that does staking for certain networks. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but no, no. The, I, yeah, it's like, so uh, proof of stake networks is what is what they're, they're called. They there's certain economics around, around holding coins and like, and, and, and is to participate in the network. So you have a certain ownership stake in the network. And based on that, you get a certain, um, you, you can lend out your coins and vote on certain updates for the protocols and everything. And, and you get, you get, a, a some amount of interest usually for that, but it, it depends that it's, it's, there's, there's different models depending on the different networks. And, and so there's, there's a company that helps, helps organizations and. And people stake their coins and earn a return on the on the network. So there's a as this emerges, there's a bunch of different like infrastructure services providers that are that are necessary to to build this the you know the tech stack that supports um, Web3 or
0: crypto or whatever you want to call it. As an accountant, what do you think are the most important things that I need to know about blockchain in order to serve my clients in the future maybe i have a few that are holding a little bit of crypto as investments you know Mm -hmm. they're 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 (laughs) hodling or whatever you call it uh they are doing some investment but like like we 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 obviously think you obviously think this is going to grow right more and more companies are going to be transacting or using blockchain in some way like what should i be learning about in order to be ready
1: i think just um poking around with the different the different concepts and you know familiarizing yourself with some of the terms like there's a lot of like anything new these daunting looking terms that you don't know what they mean but a lot there's parallels to a lot of it and and i'd say you just just signing up for a coinbase account buying some 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 crypto doing a couple transactions i think that helps to get it a little bit better just you know just 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 to just to kind of connect the dots on on what's going on that that was helpful for me early it was just sending us some money with bitcoin uh or other other networks and seeing how how that process works I thought was was pretty interesting and helped connect it but it's a lot of this is when it comes down to it it's just if you're just if you're just talking about using crypto and, and accounting for that and figuring out the tax implications for it it's just there's there's assets that have a certain value when you get them and different value when you get out of the asset or trade it to another, uh, another one. And you just need to make sure you're tracking everything properly and making sure you have all the cost layers recorded and know that if you keep on changing states of things, those might all be taxable events and you know, your transactions start to, you know, you start to build up complexity really, really quickly, it doesn't take that many transactions. So that's just something to, to, to make sure you're tracking them very, very well.
0: Yeah, let's dig into that, right? Because I think that is kind of the core thing that we need to understand right now, which is mm-hmm. cryptocurrency is tracked as an intangible asset. And mm-hmm. so we we record it when we purchase it at our cost. And then when do we recognize gain and loss? Gain or loss? So you mark it down, not up, you know, for okay. what
1: you're still holding. So if if you if you have reporting requirements that require you you to to impair your assets, then you'd mark it down, but generally it's not going to go up, uh, at least
0: in the US. So that's a big risk, right? To companies that are buying yeah. and, and transacting and or holding crypto is that there's only downside <laughs> to that, at least from a financial standpoint.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's a big topic that's been coming up coming up for a while now. But maybe is at the point of being material enough to be considered by the FASB of lo- looking into is is could you mark this up? Now that there's more and more public companies holding these assets, because yeah, you, you, buy a bunch of Bitcoin and then all of a sudden it, it goes down for a few months and then you can never bring it back up, even though it goes way up and it's traded enough that you think that there really is a market here. That's, mm-hmm. that's providing a good price. Uh, so that, that is a big, a big consideration.
0: And I think a lot of people view that as an impediment to more widespread adoption by companies. And where did that come from? Because we don't have a lot of guidance on crypto from the regulatory authorities, right? It's, yeah, well, that that just came from treatment as intangibles. Okay. So in general, yeah. intangibles are marked down, not marked up. So that's why we do it with crypto. Exactly. And, okay. Now then, if I sell my cryptocurrency for cash, I simply recognize a gain or a loss at that time. That's easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well e- easy I it was, you need to know all the cost <laughs> layers and then <laughs> and okay then oh yeah let's get into and, let's get into yeah. cost layers right okay so if I don't buy all of this crypto that I'm holding on my balance sheet all at once mm-hmm. I have cost layers explain explain that
1: sure yeah so so if you're buying if you actually even if you buy a bunch of Bitcoin or ethereum at once and you you placed an order uh, and it got it got executed in eight different trades now you have eight different cost layers.
0: You so know, just like if, inventory, right i I have to track all of the okay. quantity and the cost associated exactly yeah yeah okay. in the exact same way as inventory um, another
1: thing that hasn't definitively been ruled on, but based on everything we've seen it it seems it seems pretty clear that first and first out is how a lot of this is going to be treated, and so that's generally what's worked and and um and so taking that very granular approach of you know in our in our system for instance we specifically identify each layer sitting in the database is like you know on june 17th at 10:20 p.m. you purchased 2.6 bitcoin at 36000 a coin or whatever it is mm-hmm. and then that's just stacking up and it could be thousands and thousands of layers and then you say okay you want to sell it all then you have to pull a thousand plus layers to figure out what your cost basis was. And then that's what drives what your gain or loss was on it. So that's tracking that constantly, especially if you, if you're not just doing it for tax purposes, but you want to actually see how your gains and losses are, are looking month to month or week to week, day to day, like you need to be tracking all that and be able to go back and edit things and investigate. And it's,
0: yeah, it gets I feel like doing it in a spreadsheet bit. would get very difficult if I had a lot of layers. At some
1: point, it gets impossible. (laughs) That's what we found is is we've seen some really, some spreadsheets I never could have put together that attempt to do it and get close in some cases. But if you have to set cost layers, then pick them, and then you're transferring, you're trading, you're doing well, it's just, you can't do it. It's just not possible in, in Excel at some point.
0: And you said people are doing FIFO. Are are most people doing first-in, first-out? Are some people doing another method? Can I do average cost? Can I potentially do LIFO? Like, what's the rule about that?
1: Some people try to... They do LIFO for tax purposes. They make an election to do it. I don't know enough about that to say whether that's acceptable or not. I know it's... Some people have, some people have, do have, it. have expressed interest in doing that. Um, average cost in some countries is what's used. So that, that comes up sometimes. Um... If you can specifically identify in certain cases, like with a brokered transaction. If you are taking a certain amount of Bitcoin to buy some Bitcoin, or you know, to, to buy some Ethereum, let's say, and that those tr- transactions are associated with one another, you wouldn't want to pull the, you know, get this new Bitcoin and then pull from cost, ba- cost basis five years ago when it's not really attributed to that transaction. I think you can do that in certain
0: cases, but we've. You know, FIFO is the one we we see most commonly mm-hmm. used. Got it. So now I've got my cost layers. Mm-hmm. That is familiar from an inventory standpoint, but what is less familiar is this idea that if I exchange cryptocurrency for a, a different cryptocurrency or for cash. cash, I have to calculate a gain and a loss on every transaction. Is that right?
1: Well, kind of. The gain or loss, we, we just view it at the asset level. So let's be using that that Bitcoin for Ethereum example again. You're getting out of Bitcoin and you're buying Ethereum, and Bitcoin went up during the course of time that you held it enough so that you have a gain. Mm-hmm. Um, your Bitcoin's going to come out. We'll use the, some of those cost layers to say, okay, this is the total cost of that coming off. And then the Ethereum is now worth more than the Bitcoin that you have on your book, so you record a gain a- a- at like the account level. So there's a gain or loss account, and it's the gain or loss account for Bitcoin uh, that that just total amount goes there. So the calculations perform when we just you know give an amount for this is what Got the, an amount for that transaction, is,
0: for that transaction. Okay, and that is taxable. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's 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 taxable. Okay. So that's kind of the the fundamentals of how I track it in my accounting system mm-hmm. i could use a spreadsheet to do this some people do yep. you've built you've built a module that handles all of this automatically exactly. yeah
1: yeah yeah. and it's just it's just about volume and the number of different things you're doing if if you're just doing deposits and withdrawals it might be okay to do it may be simpler if you're starting to do trades it gets less simple really quickly and even with deposits and withdrawals if you're transferring around if you're paying vendors with with uh, with crypto can get complicated really quickly too.
0: So do you see the accounting treatment of this changing? I know there's been talk from the SEC about or maybe the IRS or maybe like who's going to who's going to decide whether or not we actually get to treat crypto as a currency, which it feels like it really should be at least for the major ones, right? Because they're acting like currencies. I mean, what is your it's, view on this?
1: it's a, it's tough to say. I I'd say that, yeah, they're, they're behaving like currencies in so many ways, but generally currencies don't fluctuate as much. And I think that's going to mm. be a problem that, that regulators have and, in, in figuring out how to categorize them. So let's start with Bitcoin. It's pretty clear that, you know, uh MicroStrategy is a big holder of Bitcoin that they've been, a, the, the CEO has been a big big um proponent of of buying bitcoin he's he's, they've added a lot to their balance sheet they should be able to mark that up you know you could use the same concept as as anything fair value wise like there's an active market for it you can clearly get you can clearly liquidate it they should be able to mark that up and so starting there I i think that's definitely the case next level um yeah, I, I, as you get into uh, other assets, uh, you know, maybe that's true for Ethereum as well. But then it, you start to get further. Like, when does that stop being the case? Uh, I don't know. And like, right. what are the thresholds? What? And then maybe it's vague, and it starts as vague. Like some of the fair value treatment, you have to figure out whether it is an actively traded market and do the whole analysis. And oh, you boy, know, that is can... it a tier one, two, or three. It's you
0: know. yeah. Rather than simplifying <clears throat> things for us accountants, that could end up making it more complicated because now we've got to decide. For our clients or with our clients what is it how do we treat it do we treat it as a a currency or an an asset right right Uh, more uh, more judgment more estimates more documentation on on one versus the other and yeah and like you've just said there's this whole scale of fungibility on these where you have bitcoin and ethereum where they're actively traded markets it's easy to get a price Mm -hmm. and then you have on the other side of it you have these coins that nobody Trades, yeah, right, they're very infrequently traded, and then you have like NFTs, which are by definition not fungible. So yeah, yeah. it's
1: for those. There's certain ones that I think are going to be more complicated, but okay. And I know we're <laughs> we're now we're okay. So now we're. Okay. It's okay. okay. We can well,
0: go all over the place with this because okay. the topic's blockchain, right? And we've actually okay. we've actually dove really deep <clears throat> into crypto, but like <clears throat> we can't forget that there's more to blockchain than cryptocurrency. Well, so we've dug in pretty deep into the number one application for blockchain at the moment, the one that is in the news, the one that we hear about, no. the one that people are speculating ridiculously on and either making lots of money or losing a lot of money. Let's talk in the time we have left about other uses of blockchain because crypto mm-hmm. gets all the attention, but I get really excited about other areas. And I'm curious to know what excites you about blockchain that doesn't have anything to do with currency. That's a great point. And, and
1: there's there's one that's happening right now that 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 is pretty interesting it that it, it around mining bitcoin you know in order for the bitcoin network to operate there's miners all over the world miners are essentially think of it as solving a really complex math problem whichever miner or group of miners gets that first gets 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 that problem solved first they are awarded with um with uh there's a it's called a block reward so they get some mm-hmm. bitcoin
0: for doing that and these are the and, guys that basically facilitate all the transactions that are happening on the chain. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: as this is as as the um basically all, all these all these full full nodes of the Bitcoin blockchain um store an entire copy of the blockchain and have to and basically they're all they're all kind of doing the same the same exercise and agreeing on the next when it updates what the next state of it is. Mm-hmm. um and and so that's a, as part of that they're just tra- you know tra- transacting um th- they're processing the transactions and it's it's a very energy intensive process so it means that you want to if you're a bitcoin miner you want to go to a place with cheap energy you know if you have cheap energy and a reliable internet connection that's you know that's everything and as a result, so the easy thing to say is, okay, so they're, they're, you know, you're using real world energy, you're, you're consuming real world resources to create, uh, this thing that doesn't actually exist, this digital, whatever. and so it, it, it's easy to say that that's bad for the environment, but what it's ends up doing is, is you, there's this incentive to search out cheap energy. And I would expect that this is, you know, through regulation, Things will start to move more and more in this direction. Where if it is really bad, you know, uh, if you're burning coal to mine Bitcoin, I imagine that's not gonna. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how. You know, what percentage of miners are doing that? But that's a pretty easy one to think. Okay, regulators are probably going to be all over that and say, no, you got to use renewables or something. And so it starts to push all this development toward. Okay, how do we make renewables more efficient? And then all this investment will go into them because people are going to be making money off of this. And even for just, you know, existing like natural gas, uh, electricity, powered electricity plants, um, that have excess capacity can mine Bitcoin with the excess capacity. And so it's this, it's weird because it's, it's like, as long as you have, uh, uh an energy source and uh, connection to the internet, you can turn that energy into something that has value at the, that spot. And so it's kind of this. It's. It, th- this is really happening right now. You know, energy companies are investing in in mining Bitcoin, and with so, their spare
0: capacity. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah. this is interesting. You brought this up because this is one of the main criticisms of cryptocurrency and blockchain mm-hmm. is that it is so energy intensive, and there's always a headline every time mining grows that it is now eclipse the total, uh, energy usage of this country here or this country Mm -hmm. here. And, and so the criticism is that, right. It uses all this energy. It's totally inefficient and it's bad for the environment, but you're saying that it could actually lead to innovation when it comes to clean energy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely, I think it will. I mean, it, it, it kind of, it's this interesting dynamic that, that is kind of counterintuitive at at a glance. You'd think that that one I think would be be right so that's one thing but then also if if you think about the total energy that's used to pro- to process transactions generally what is the total amount of energy used for uh, you know other monetary networks it's not like it's nothing and so I don't know I, I this isn't something I know a, a ton about to be able to mm-hmm. make a direct comparisons between all of them but it's it's there's some interesting arguments that that you can make when you get into this and and it's it's not exactly as it seems so like a lot of a lot of those article I, uh headlines i view as a little bit sensationalist and if you st- if you start to go through it uh, there there
0: are some other considerations there i guess i could see how demand for really cheap energy would then stimulate people to supply more really cheap energy and that if we figure out how to generate <laughs> mm-hmm. more cheap energy than the blockchain demands that benefits all of us so it, yeah it, we're gonna see if that ends up happening,
1: yeah yeah exactly it's kind of an experiment we don't know really um yet um and that that that's one of the reasons why I like to point out that one first because it's actually you know this is this experiment is happening right now but then uh, another is is around supply chains and so it's this is another one where it's like it's unclear how it will work or you know how how this how this will all come together but It's, there's not a lot of visibility along the supply chain from manufacturer to, um, distributor, to wholesaler, to, you know, through these multiple steps and a process of something coming, you know, from point A to, to point Z or whatever that, you know, I could see specific use blockchains for certain industries or like consortiums of organizations within an industry using the same blockchain to decide on, you know, to, to have a, 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 agreed upon state of this network between companies that don't trust each other or don't, you know, don't have to trust each other anyway. And then it could be this mechanism for governing this, this process. Like, um, it, so I, th- those are being explored. I think a lot of what we've seen so far, I don't know how much it's, how much headway it's made, at least in like in companies actually using them for their their supply chains but there there were a a couple years ago there were a bunch of headlines on them and
0: i haven't seen much recently but well i wonder like how much of the supply chain problems that we've experienced during the pandemic could have been averted if for instance auto manufacturers had all the parts on a blockchain Mm -hmm. database or ledger so they could Mm -hmm. actually see that oh we're not making enough computer chips because isn't that the reason that we don't have enough autos right now it's mainly because they cut their orders of computer chips and then when when demand surged they didn't have enough i don't know that it's like the answer is okay if you put it on blockchain it's going to
1: you know help that whole process maybe there's multiple blockchains in the mix and in the entire life of that chip that ultimately gets into your car there's, you know, the, the raw material suppliers that have to, you know, get the raw materials that also had their own disruptions. And then that leads to the next stage in the production process and the next one and the next. So you might be talking about like five different industry blockchains that have to then get handoff to handoff. And so, you know, if, if that's the case, then, you know, it, <laughs> a decade may, maybe makes, makes more sense for a timeline for, for how long they'll actually, you know, take to get together. But it knowing it, knowing that this is available and having some use cases helps the people who are in the details to know the problem really well to now apply that. And I think it's there, there'll be like have to be multiple iterations of that happening before you get to a, a like a really complex solution like that. But yeah, it could I mean, <laughs> I guess in summary, yes, it could really it could really help. Because it's it's if it's, it's all machine
0: readable, then you can go right back to the beginning and say, "Oh, this is this is the thing that it, it, this is where it started." International transactions, I think you mentioned that being a big application of crypto. Let's talk a bit more about that and how that is impacting accountants today. Yeah, so, absolutely. Historically, I've what I've done wire transfers to get money out mm-hmm. of the country. How does uh, blockchain cryptocurrency change the equation for me?
1: Sure. So, so uh, that's that was actually gonna be my first question. Have you done an international wire, wire transfer? Um, so you have these instructions that you put into a this form, and then maybe there's a correspondent bank or some other bank that has to be involved. that's not yours or your, you know, the, the ultimate pays bank, but in order to process this transaction, they need to be in the mix. And then you submit this wire. And if it's during a certain window uh, of time, it will be processed, hopefully the same day, unclear some amount of time it'll, it'll be in, in your, your, uh, in in the payee's account. And so during that, you have to trust all these, you know, all these organizations in the way there's all these networks involved to get it ultimately there and this system works. It ultimately makes make sure every you, you can. You can pay people. You can. There's some mechanisms for reversals. There's all these things that have been built up over time to make that work, but it's slow and it's kind of janky. And there's you could miskey an account number and lose your money. There's all these problems with that, and and so the reason why you go through that is that you have to trust that it's going to get from your bank to the other bank. You're not going to get you know your money stolen in the in the in the middle there. So if you could. If you could replace that with computers, that'd be great. Right. And that that's kind of what Bitcoin is doing. It's not doing as you can't, rev, there's certain mechanisms that don't currently exist, like you there's no check to say, you know, is this, uh, is this something that we need to check to make sure that it's going to the right account. Like if you miss key, maybe there's a check and you, you can catch that. Yeah, you know, that, that's not gonna be the case with, with, uh, um, with Bitcoin, but I mentioned just trying a transaction to learn how this stuff works. I think that's, this is a great example of it is if you go into Coinbase and you say, I want to send, buy some Bitcoin and say, I'm going to send it to it, this other Bitcoin address. All you do is you put it at this long string of characters and say, send and authenticate and put in your two factor authentication or whatever need. And then it just goes. And then the, the network that's just building block after block in the chain of that that's the, the blockchain concept just processes your, tra- your transaction and the other per- the other wallet gets it and so that that that's kind of the, at a high level what's happening so it's just you're just automating that whole piece of getting value from one party
0: to another without having these trusted centralized intermediaries the bitcoin network has cut out that middleman yeah and the fee we, we're not paying wire transfer fees anymore we're paying a fee though to to move the bitcoin around and that goes up and down what is Mm -hmm. it it's it's not cheap though right what is it it's currently it really depends but it's currently
1: pretty cheap um to do to do bitcoin transfers okay and and this varies uh, a lot based on different networks too so there are other networks that are faster and and charge like not no very low fees so there's bitcoin's the in a lot of ways the safest one because it's it's so big it's so widely transacted it's very secure so you could you could pay via that but there's probably going to be ju- specifically for payments there's going to be other networks that might help out there but it's it's the same concept is your is you're removing that middleman
0: yeah i uh i just did a google search cuz i was curious mm-hmm. and i found wall street journal said the highlighted snippet, so we can trust it, right? Uh, that daily average daily transaction fees this year were as low as a dollar <laughs> seventy-eight and as high as sixty-two dollars. So I guess it really does depend when you do it, and how much it's going to cost.
1: It does. Interesting. Yeah. M- Interesting. Mostly though, anytime, and I haven't done a ton of these, but over the past year, anytime I've checked, it it has been pretty low, like dollars, yeah, a
0: few dollars. Um, which is a, a big dollars, difference, ma- yeah, big difference compared to the you know twenty, was, thirty, forty dollars yeah. you might pay for a wire, right? Always less than the wire, fee. yeah,
1: yeah. That, Interesting. That, um, it, it, years ago, it was it was really expensive for a while. I think they they ran into a lot of Ethereum's running into some of this now, where it's a lot of congestion. It can be very expensive yeah. at certain times. There's some that are like sense, and they're instant. Like it's really cool. Like you 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 do a transfer, and it and it's it there immediately. Yeah. Everything seems, happened immediately
0: <laughs> it seems like this is sort of the no brainer way to get started if I'm an accountant at a company and I'm doing a bunch of wire transfers to vendors abroad, suppliers abroad, if I can get some of them on coinbase with me or some sort of way of sending them crypto if I can get them to accept crypto then i can I can save a lot of money for my company on fees yeah
1: yeah, absolutely yeah and and it's it's what this ultimately could turn into is there's a lot of, you know, middlemen making entire businesses, entire industries in this stack of getting from, of, of paying, uh, third parties. If you start chipping away at this, then all of a sudden, you know, maybe those 2% fees go away in certain cases. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it really, yeah, it really, it really could could be a paradigm shift, especially for certain industries. Like if you're constantly paying and, and, uh, and receiving goods from the same suppliers and certain things like that, it is just going to be a no brainer that, you know, your, the, the amount of money you're paying is so much that you would just go like saving a a few percentage points or even a a few bips could be really impactful. So,
0: yeah. And and the way services like Coinbase make money is they charge a fee to turn that crypto back into us dollars or for me to buy it too right that's where yeah, they're making or, their cut or trade trade it to trading um, they make a they make a cut on the trading yeah but it's still it still can be a lot less than a wire transfer fee if you you gotta do the math right but it ends yeah. up being a good deal yeah and
1: certainly if, if you're holding it and, and if, yeah. if you're doing this at scale you know uh, coinbase has like like brokered uh you know They'll the broker transactions. A lot of the other exchanges will do too, um, and so you could you could get better better fees on that. There's there's enough competition that you definitely could get those down. And once you have it, yeah, I mean, I think you could really really
0: cut down on 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 transaction fees. One of the risks of cryptocurrency is I send the money to the wrong wallet. Mm-hmm. These are irreversible transactions. So that brings me to the fraud question how do we how do we handle fraud how do we you know ensure custody of these assets all it takes is knowing the key mm-hmm. which is just a string of numbers and letters in order to move money from a wallet so you know it's not like a traditional <laughs> banking system right where there may be id verification or whatever and i know those have their challenges but yeah how do how do companies use cryptocurrency while also guarding against fraud? And how do we as accountants stay on top of that?
1: So I I think for companies almost in in the vast majority of cases, they're gonna have somebody help them with the custody of those assets. And like, that's just the answer is is there's somebody charged with custody and they go through all the checks to make sure that their, their funds don't get stolen. And there's different checks you need to do. It's a lot more extreme because there's no, like you said, it's not reversible. And so that's what we've seen is just there's there's a there's benefits to holding yourself, uh, obviously, to to having the crypto yourself and how, owning your keys and managing those. But yeah, you have to be willing to take on that risk and 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 build in those practices internally
0: to make sure that
1: that that doesn't happen.
0: So a service like Coinbase, they act as a custodian for my crypto assets is that accurate yeah that's okay. right and there's lots yeah. of them coinbase is just really well known yeah there's lots of them yeah uh, okay. that,
1: that, and and some that are specifically bo- uh, focused on
0: on institutions as well so they basically perform that function that my bank currently provides which is mm-hmm. you know ensuring or at least providing me with the tools to ensure security and,
1: and it, exactly yeah yeah and, okay. and they'll they'll make sure that if you have it, I think Coinbase is the only one that has, there might be others, but the only one that immediately comes to mind that has that uh, any insurance for your holdings. The others, I think, I think there are some, some others that have insurance, but it's, it's not like the same way currently as a bank where you're not going to lo- definitely not going to lose your money. And so that, as that gets to be more prevalent, then I think it, you, 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 it basically becomes a bank for you.
0: Um, are, but, are all the crypto exchanges, like both for consumers or and businesses, are there any that specialize in just businesses? Like if I wanted to get set up, would I, do you recommend Coinbase as, you know, a tool for businesses? What do you, what do you recommend? They,
1: most of them have a consumer side to them, but some are specifically focused on, on businesses. Yeah. Mo- mostly those would be. They would they would give you more of a white glove service and broker transact you say i want to buy 50 bitcoin they go out and they get the 50 bitcoin and and custody them for you and you can get this little dashboard to see i have 50 bitcoin and incorporate that into your own processes but you've kind of offloaded that whole side of things do you have any recommendations for where to look so coinbase is the easiest to use to get started and it's just they've really focused on keeping everything very simple to onboard and quickly get started Uh, there's some other ones that have been around for a while, like Kraken and, uh, Bitstamp is another one. And then there's a number of other, uh, exchanges that are, that are newer, that there's, there's, there's a lot of good ones out there. There's, there's some, (laughs) there's some not not so good ones too. So I I think stick with the ones that have been around for a while and the ones Mm -hmm. that are, um, that have a really high volume of transactions that, that more than anything, probably, We should give you some comfort. If if they have a high volume of transactions, they do they do not want a security incident that will really impact them. And and um and they invest and and if they've been around for a few years, they've they've invested enough in security that that generally uh helps helps out a lot. But I I
0: think if you're going to start with one, Coinbase is 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 a is a good place to to dip in. And I imagine that you want to ensure that you use something that's been around a while because they'll know how to get you the information you need. To do your accounting and to do your taxes as well, yeah, right. Because they've got to be able to provide the data, mm. like to like. Does Soft Ledger integrate into Coinbase? Does Coinbase integrate to Soft Ledger? How do you get that data into your system?
1: So, the tax tools are coming for the bigger ones. They're not a hundred percent there yet. You you have a starting point mostly with these exchanges too to start doing your taxes, but it's. uh, we sell to businesses and so our starting point is we have a a a module to help you categorize your financial your your crypto transactions get them into your financials and make sure they're right everything's locked down everything's auditable you know, everything
0: categories proper c- categorized properly um and, and do i how do i get that information in? do i connect my wallet to soft ledger or do i import so, it as a csv file like what is the method
1: So there are a few integrations that we have, um, to bring in, bring that data in from exchanges and we're adding more kind of imminently via a a, a data aggregator. The the trouble with doing it all ourselves is, is, it's just, it's a lot to keep up all these integrations. And so we've chosen to partner on that front. Yeah. It would be like trying
0: to integrate with all the banks, right? It's just too many. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, but regardless, we, we made sure that our Excel upload and CSV upload was really good. And so that's generally how, uh, all of our customers at least get some of their data in is via, um, that upload or, or some of them have built integrations with our API to send in data as well. Got it. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's tough because, you know, for a consumer, you want everything to be kind of like very easy, one click, everything it imports. And so if, if you're just doing it, using, it, uh, this for your taxes, we're probably not a great fit unless you're mm. a really heavy trader. Uh, so there's, there's a bunch of tools out there to help with, with taxes.
0: Got it. So you're, you're focusing more on the, I want to actually have useful management financial information about my crypto transactions exactly, yeah. and holdings yeah. and all that. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. Ben, thank you so much for your time today. This has been very educational for me and I hope for our listeners as well. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? um for instance where they can get in touch with you or learn more about soft ledger sure thanks yeah thanks for having me on this is a great great conversation um
1: yeah if you want to check us out at softledger.com that's that's where you know most of what we do is is pretty clearly laid out and feel free to uh
0: drop us a line and um always happy to help if we can I am Blake Oliver, your host of this earmark accounting podcast. I have been speaking today with Ben Taylor, CEO and co-founder of soft ledger. Ben, hope to see you around sometime. Thanks. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new. And if you did, wouldn't it be nice to get some CPE credit for it? Well, I've got great news. My new app, Earmark CPE, offers free NASBA-approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit EarmarkCPE.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's EarmarkCPE.com.